Hey, fellow mathers, do you have limited classroom time? Do you want to make the biggest, best impact on your students that you can? Then you need to start here with the Math is Figureoutable Challenge. It's three one-hour sessions of the quickest and most powerful ways to reach the most students with the most math. We're having special guest Jenna Labe. Mark your calendars for May 15th through 17th at 7 p.m. Central and watch this space to find out when registration opens. If you can't make those times, you'll want to register anyway so you can get access to the session recordings. And now, on to the episode. Hey, fellow mathematicians, welcome to the podcast where math is figure outable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we're here to suggest that real mathematics is not about mimicking or rote memorizing, but it's about thinking and reasoning, about creating and using mental relationships. We answer the question, if not algorithms, then what are we doing in math class? All right, so first today, we're going to share a really cool message that we got the other day from a parent who's listening to the podcast. So thanks to Nikina. Yeah, she wrote... Hey, Pam, I just wanted to let you know how your podcast is helping me. I don't remember exactly how I found you, but it was from the other podcast that I was listening to specifically for elementary math info. I'm not a teacher, just a parent who wants to get my math brain fired up so that I can engage my children with thought-provoking games when they are developmentally ready. My daughter's only four, but even already she will get excited about the fun patterns we see in numbers, and it makes me very excited that I'm learning so much from you and Kim. I've been working with her on number recognition in the car by calling out the numbers we see on speed limit signs. When I introduce her to her that the two numbers are actually 35 rather than a three and a five, she was engaged. Just a few days of me telling her the number after her calling out the single digits, she recognized the pattern and I had a proud parent moment when she yelled out 60 zero. (laughs) Obviously I know she's wrong, but I couldn't, I didn't correct her right away because it showed me that she understood the concept rather than just memorizing what I was telling her. I love that I'm thinking uh, thinking more mathy by listening to you, and that thoughtfulness is coming through in my parenting. Thank you. So cool. Love that she shared that. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear from all of you guys about how you are using the podcast. Feel free to send us an email, pam at mathisfigureoutable.com or kim at mathisfigureoutable.com, or even better, share what you think and your rating at your favorite podcast place. That's so awesome. Okay, so last week we talked about the language of counting. Mm-hmm. And we're aware that part of counting is about the social convention of what we call things. But there's also part of counting that's all about kids needing experience counting so that they really own the relationships. In today's episode, we're going to talk about this interconnectedness of the social convention part of math and the experiential development part of math. And Kim, I think this is so important. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been on Twitter or Facebook or or I'm having conversations with math people and we get stuck here and and we begin to Mm -hmm. talk past each other and we're not really communicating. And so today's episode is really important that we're going to differentiate this idea of what we have to own in math versus the social convention part of math. So let's define a couple of terms and where they come from. So Jean Piaget was a Swiss psychologist. Shout out to Swiss. Woo! My mom's from Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) So he, uh, a while ago, and he talked about types of knowledge, two of which pertain to this conversation. 
So one type of knowledge is called social knowledge. And then the other type is called logical mathematical knowledge. Kind of wish we had a better name for that, but whatever. So let's define social knowledge. Social knowledge is that which we deem to be so. It's by convention. It means that as a society, we sort of said, this is going to be the way it is. And in different countries, we might actually have different social conventions. It, it, uh, if you look at something and it's different in a different language, that could very well be a sign that that's something that's social. It's not the other kind of knowledge that we have to build, but it's just that, that, that language has named it that way. And so it's the kind of thing that we have to sort of tell kids. So you said something that de- is deemed to be so. Who makes those decisions? Yeah, so that's actually less specific than you might think. Um, mathematicians sort of make the decision about what we deem to be so, what's going to be true by convention. But kind of over time, it's like as a society or, or we look at a body of work and we kind of adopt certain conventions. Um, let me give you a historical example. So Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am, was also a mathematician. Um, And one of the things that um, he's uh, less known for in history is that he started using in his work. He was he he was doing a lot of writing and a lot of people were reading his work. His work was um, very well known. And so because of that, people wanted to um, understand what he was doing and they began to take on some of his convention. For example, he used A, B and C for constants and X, Y and Z for variables and before him, that wasn't necessarily what everybody was doing, but but because so many people read his work and it was so widely known and people wanted to understand it, then it sort of became the convention. And so today we typically use A, B, and C for constants and X, Y, and Z to represent variables. It's not wrong to use the variable Y to represent a constant. We just don't typically do it by convention. We've decided as a society that we just don't typically use that convention. We don't usually um, do it that way. And so... Um, Uh, One of the unfortunate things could be that a math teacher today could say, no, 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 that's wrong. You can't you can't use that variable. You can't use the variable A to represent or just can't use the letter A to represent a variable. Well, you can. We just don't by convention. It's not it's not right or wrong um, mathematically. But as a society, we've sort of deemed it to be one way or the other. So it's really important that we treat things differently if they are social and things that are logical, mathematical. Okay, so that's interesting that you share that because my oldest son is in algebra right now and he's always wondering about why things are done a certain way. And sometimes I don't have an answer for him if it's not logical, mathematical. So will you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, totally. So that's the other one, right? Never, I wish we had a better name because um, it sounds like it's too much either logical or mathematical. and it's and, and But it really has everything to do with experiential. It's the right. part of knowledge that we have to build. It's that it's the sort of things that if we don't own, we can't really do something with it. We can't use it. So if, uh, a way to kind of differentiate between the two, if you can look something up and then you can use it, you can do something with it. It's probably social. If, if it's like easy to, ah, like there's that fact. And then now I can go just like, like talk about that fact. Then uh, like, for example, a, a name in history or a, a date or a place or um, that's social convention. It, it sort of happened in history. And so we can kind of like we, somebody has to tell us that we can't figure it out. We can't sit on our own and use what we know to logically derive it. Then it's probably social. 
if we look something up and then we can't like use it right away, then it's probably logical mathematical. If we have to actually own it, if, if we need to work with it and understand it and understand the ramifications and what's connected to it, that's probably logical mathematical knowledge. Um, let me give you a couple of examples. So I often use, use this one when I'm working with teachers. So I was working with a group of teachers one day and I said, who was the eighth president of the United States? And then I stare them down. <laughs> and I'm looking to see, like, what do they think about that? Are they figuring? Can, is there something we can do to, like, use logical relationships to decide who? No, I mean, that's that's a perfect example of social knowledge. It, it happened. We can look it up and then we know the answer instantly. We can ask somebody and they can tell us who it is instantly. Okay, so for one time, there was one time where I asked that question, who's the eighth president of the United States? And this gal starts to like do this thing. She kind of is like ticking her hand off in front of her. It's almost like she's sort of counting. And then she looks up and she, she tells me, yeah, I don't even remember what it was. I said, I still don't know who the eighth president of the United States is. And I looked at her and I was like, what were you just doing? Now, when I ask people that sometimes they'll say, oh, I bet she had a song. I bet she had a rap or a rhyme. Well, that's, that's interesting because that's a really good sign that something's social knowledge. If you need a mnemonic or a rap or a rhyme or a story or some sort of memory technique to help you remember it, chances are that's so, uh, social knowledge, or at least you're treating it like it's social knowledge mm-hmm. because you've, you're doing something to rote memorize it. So it was really interesting. I'm like, what is she doing to like figure that out? And she said to me, I'm driving home. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, she lives in San Angelo, Texas. And in San Angelo, Texas, the streets in her city are the presidents of the United States. And so like Adams is twice. So she kind of has to like think about that when she kind of drives home to decide who the eighth president of the United States is. Again, that's very social. The names of those streets, they decided to be that way. Who became the president of the United States? We voted on it. It it wasn't a logical mathematical. It wasn't something that's about relationships, um, about between logical understandings. It happened. It's that's social knowledge. Uh, Let's let me give you another example, more mathy example. Okay, so if I ask you what a, t- a polygon is, so polygon is a, uh, often people will say it's a many-sided figure, but if you actually think about the word polygon, gone, gone is sort of the suffix that represents angle, angle, so it's actually a many-angled figure, and then I might ask you what's a ten-sided polygon, and you'll say it's a decagon, and a nine-sided is a nonagon, and eight-sided is an octagon, and seven-sided is a septagon, and eight-sided is a, or sorry, six-sided is a sexagon, wait, hexagon. A hexagon. Okay, but wouldn't it? Come on, it'd be more fun if it was a hexagon. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> so we've got these sort of names for these polygons, right? And they're kind of following a pattern, and then it, it breaks down a little bit when we get to hexagon. Like, should it be sexagon? We're sort of fine. Or, or then what's a five sided? Should it be fifth? It's a pentagon. Okay, cool. What's a four sided? Hmm. Well, then all of a sudden, a four sided. It's not a quadagon. It's not a fouragon. It's a quadrilateral. Ooh, look at that word, quadrilateral. Now we're now we're actually to sighted figure. Now it's a four-sided figure. You guys, this is all social. Somebody deemed it to be so. We gave these figures those names. That's social knowledge. There is kind of a pattern happening and then we break it. Yeah. When that happens, when there's kind of this logical pattern and then it breaks, often that's a hint that we're dealing with social knowledge. Somebody decided to name polygons that way. Okay, let's look Let's keep going. We've got a four-sided quadrilateral. What's a three-sided polygon? A triagon? Hmm. Well, at least it's a triangle. You know, angle is still <laughs> in there. 
So again, social knowledge, we've deemed it to be so as a society of mathematicians, we've sort of given things names, often vocabulary or example of social knowledge. So this sounds really important, um, and, but, but why do we care? Like what, what are we supposed to do about that? Yeah. So why are we making a big deal about social versus logical mathematical knowledge? It has everything to do with how we teach the different things. Mm -hmm. So if something is social, if it's by convention, we've deemed it to be so, tell kids that. That's the kind of stuff that we just need to explain. We just need to give. We just need to hand out. We just need to make sure that it's clear. And we don't wait on when we ask kids. So if I'm asking kids something that's social, I'm not going to stare them down. I'm not going to use my wait time in that case. I'm not going to be like, okay, figure it out. Like math is figure outable. Well, it is, but that part of it, if that part of it's not figure outable, then don't wait. That's like uh, rude. It's mean that they can't, if they can't pull it from rote memory, waiting longer is not going to help them pull it from rote memory uh, even better. If, however, the thing is logical, mathematical, then don't just tell kids that. It won't work. Kids won't own it. Kids need to experience logical mathematical. They need to build the mental relationships. They need to change their brains so that they actually can handle more of the simultaneity so that your brain can deal with things more simultaneously. If you haven't built your brain to be able to deal with these concepts, then they're not going to be able to handle it. Let me give you a quick example. Craig and I, he's our third Um He's home right now. Uh, uh, BYU has remote classes. And so he decided to take remote classes because his fiance's here. And so he, he stayed home, be near his fiance. Um, and he's taking a, a computer science class. And he came downstairs last night. And I said, hey, how's your, how's your current program going? And he said, now we're dealing with this logic stuff. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And uh, he started talking about syllogisms and uh, different logic gates and all this. This these uh, He started throwing out some terms and I said, well, what does that mean? And what does this mean? And I knew some of it. I've taken some logic and I've dealt with some logic. And there were some things that um, I, he could he could tell me the name and he could tell me the term. But boy, until we like talked about it and had some examples and had some non-examples, like just knowing the name and the term didn't really help me understand yeah. the logic of what's, of what's happening. That's a, 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 It's funny because I'm using the word logic, but that's an example of, of mathematical kind of logical mathematical knowledge that it wasn't just enough for him to just tell me the sort of terms. We had to dive into it and dig into it and, and able to use it and able to do something with it. So that actually makes me think of a really important um, like elementary example. The names of the shapes, like you said earlier, are social. Kids can't guess yep. those. Yep. But the relationships and the classifications that we do based on attributes, those are logical mathematical. They should be experienced. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice way of parsing that out. Um, and rounding. Somebody asked recently on Twitter, I saw about rounding. Someone decided that halfway between numbers rounds up. Like when the number ends in a five, we decided it rounds up. But the logical mathematical part says that we need to consider the situation and make sense of when we would round up or down given a situation. Can you give me an yeah. example in higher math, though? That's a really good example in rounding. Um, in fact, one of the things that came out on Twitter, and then I'll give you your, your higher okay, math, um, is that the, they were talking about how in Canada they don't use the penny anymore. And so if you're sort of at... Um, the closer to uh, like 10 cents, if you're at 10 cents, 11 cents, 12 cents, then you're going to round down and you're just going to give them back a diamond change. But if you're 
closer to the nickel, then you're going to sort of use mm. the nickel. If you're at 13 or 14 or 15 cents and you're going to, you're going to round up to the nickel. How interesting is that? So it really depends on context. And you bring up a really good point that that is all about logical mathematical. We have to think about the situation and the context to make sense of it. Yeah. Uh, very cool. But, but, uh, but the part of it that's social is, is where we decided sort of to round up or down um, kind of in the middle. Um, yeah. What do you do in the middle? Uh, we've decided to round up five, five rounds up. Um, but it might depend on the situation where we bring the logical mathematical uh, understanding in. All right. So you asked for an example from higher math. Um, you were telling me the other day that your son was dealing with the Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. Wait, was that the parallel parallelogram theorem? The Pythagorean theorem? Was that, <laughs> I mean, those are like, like long mathy sort of names, right? Well, Pythagoras was a guy and we named the theorem after him. That's that, that name that's social. But to be able to deal with the Pythagorean theorem, how to derive it and how the relationships and how to understand, for example, if I'm trying to find the distance between two points, could I use the Pythagorean theorem and not even memorize a separate new formula? Could I just like use what I know about the Pythagorean theorem to help me find the distance between two points? Yeah, then we don't have to have anybody wrote memorize the distance formula. They could just use what they know based on the Pythagorean theorem that they know. What part of that is social? The name, the name is social, but how I use it, how I understand how it's related to the distance between two points, that's the logical mathematical part of it. Um, That's kind of like when we ask kids to make sense of and use the distributive, associative, and commutative properties. So using those properties, that's logical mathematical. But sometimes I see teachers requiring kids to name the properties without giving them a lot of opportunity to learn the names and practice the names. That's the social part, right? Yeah, that's an excellent example. So we, we, we I'm okay if you use mnemonics to help them under, uh, to help them remember the name of the property. But boy, they need to experience yeah. those properties and the ins and outs and how they relate to what's happening in the strategies. That's far more important than the names. Um, and you bring up a, a really good point because the standards name the strategy. Students should use these properties. But we think that that at most of the uh, most of the standards we've seen, that doesn't mean that the kids need to, to name the properties. They just need to be able to use them. And that's right. all about if, if kids are learning really good strategies for numbers, they're actually using the properties well. They don't need to uh, name. Them. That's not an important part. It's not going to it's not going to be on a high stakes test where it says, what is this property? And if it is, then it's a lame item on the test. And it should yeah. be, we shouldn't be asking that. Okay, cool. So it's really important that we don't treat social things as logical mathematical and we don't treat logical mathematical things as social or this can happen. Like we might have teachers that say, oh, let's see, how am I going to help kids learn? Pick a thing. Multiplication of fractions. Well, let's see. Multiplication of fractions. Is that logical, mathematical or social? Well, if we say to kids, multiplication of fractions, multiply fractions straight across. Like I I heard somebody (laughs) sing that one time. Then, then what we're treating multiplication of fractions as social knowledge. Yeah. We're giving them this little ditty to to sort of memorize, and and then if they memorize the ditty wrong, uh, then they're not going to multiply fractions correctly. But but I would argue if they've just memorized that, they're not building their brain to be able to multiply fractions. They're just doing a thing. They're not understanding what multiplication of fractions is, understanding how multiplication of fractions relates to the area model, but how also how we can think about 
the relationships that I can think about a half of something to help me consider what a fourth of it is. And if I can think about a half of something to think about a fourth of it, then I can think about three fourths of that thing. Like that kind of understanding is logical, mathematical. That's the part of it that we really want kids to own deep down inside, um, not treat it like it's something uh, social. Another huge one that I think we talk past each other are the multiplication facts. Um, We're going to have a whole series of episodes on the multiplication facts, but I'll just say briefly, multiplication facts are figure outable. So if you're Mm -hmm. treating the multiplication facts like that social knowledge, if you're doing rhymes and raps and songs and poems and (laughs) stories, whatever, to to wrote, memorize the multiplication facts, you're treating them like they're social and they're not. They are logical, mathematical. We want kids to know that the multiplication facts are figure outable. So y'all, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation about social knowledge versus logical mathematical knowledge and how important it is. So you don't treat logical things as social and don't wait on things that are social. Wait Mm -hmm. time's important, right? But we want to honor kids thinking by giving them time for things that they can figure out. We don't want to give them an extended amount of wait time for things that they cannot work through. Right. So just consider when you're waiting for kids, are you asking them to think about something that's logical, mathematical? Let's wait on that. Give them a chance to use what they know to figure it out. But if you're asking them something social, don't wait on that. Just like give it, give it back to them or call on somebody else because social it's either there or, or it's not. Fabulous conversation about the difference between logical mathematical understanding and social knowledge. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget Math Strat Chat on your favorite social media on Wednesday evening. And please head over and give us a rating and a comment because it helps more people find the podcast. All right. So if you are interested to learn more math and you want to help students develop as mathematicians, then the Math is Figure Outable podcast is for you because math is figure outable. Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. Remember, we're going to be opening registration for the Math is Figure Outable Challenge soon. Mark your calendar from May 15th through 17th. You are not going to want to miss these free PD evenings where you'll learn four routines you need in your classroom that are naturally engaging and encourage students to think mathematically. And remember, if you can't make those times, registering gets you access to the recordings. Keep making math figure outable.